Hello and welcome to another exciting and informative episode of The Rogues in the House, a podcast focused on the genre of sword and sorcery, delivered with 100% enthusiasm by self-proclaimed experts. So raise your tankard and tip the barmaid because the rogues are in the house. Welcome, everyone. Yo, 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 yo. Full house tonight. A full house of rogues. Very full. We've had five. Yeah, this is a record. This is a record. Uh, we have special guests tonight. Uh, we have, oh, sorry, cat. Uh, we have, uh, Logan and Morgan and Phil. Oh, wait, Logan's not a special guest. I'm not involved. I'm not special. This is like, this is normal. I was just normal. reading across my screen at the top of who is here. I am not involved in this. <laughs> Logan's special, just not a special guest. Yeah, not a special guest. Special kind of fella. Um, so we have with us, uh, the, we'll say the creators as a blanket term, uh, Morgan King and Phil Gillat. Nailed it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Nice. Nicely Thank done. So Thanks so much for having us. This is yeah. fun. I'm so excited. Well, listen, thanks for coming. Um, yeah. we all watched the film and dug it and we were like, oh. man, wouldn't it be cool if we could get those guys on and well, Look at us. We we did it. Here we are. Yeah. All, all we had to do was ask nicely. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised what you can do by just being polite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sur- surprisingly mercenary too. So. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of got them, man. You gotta you gotta hawk the wares. So normally on this show we do a segment called the Bazaar of the Bazaar, and today is no different. We're going to start with a sound effect. Yeah. And then we're going to move on to our master of operations, Dean. Yes. Um, I do have a uh, something that was kind of bizarre, very bizarre. Do you all know of a man named Dr. Disrespect? I am aware. Yeah. I am aware of this individual. Morgan, you, you've heard of him? He's a gamer streamer guy, right? Yes. Yeah, he's a streamer, a YouTube streamer. He does a lot of first-person shooter, and he's got a lot of people giving him a lot of money for playing a game. He's had a lot of controversy, too. Yeah. I don't know so much about that, and the only reason I know about him is because the guy who works for me, he kind of keeps him on in the background. Well, he stops me in the hallway, and he tells me, oh, Dr. Disrespect was, uh, you know, he was kind of throwing some shade at the Conan movies. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And so he showed me the video, and it had been posted already, and what he was doing was he was ranking Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, right? And it ranked from S being superb, A, B, C, D, and F. Well, he got around to posting all the different movies that Schwarzenegger's been on, and he put both Conans, both the original, 1982 and the 1980, is it 84 or 86, Destroyer? 84. Um, that got put in the D category. And a lot of his fans were throwing a bunch of shade at him. <laughs> they were like, you cannot put Conan in the D range. You've got to put it. It's S. It's superb. you got to put it up yeah. there. And there were even defenders of the Destroyer saying, that's ah, at least a C. <laughs> right? I'm, the only, I'm the only person who defends that movie. Yeah. Right. No, they were. They were. So he's like, ah, shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, so many people were just giving him all kinds of crap that he finally said, well, okay, well, I'll put the original up at a C 
and he picks the destroyer, which makes me think that he's really not seen these movies. <laughs> Disrespect indeed. Yeah. So he was definitely disrespecting our favorite Conan movies. So. You know what I would have said to him? What's that? Enough talk. <laughs> and then threw a dagger in his guts. <laughs> Took care of it. That's what I would have done. Yeah. You hear that? Even, even if you disrespect. don't love him, you yeah. still think you could differentiate between sure. the merits of... I feel like if you're making a, a list of things, you should probably have that. But, he, had, uh, he had twins above Conan. That's disgusting. Danny DeVito is funny. I think he even had Commando slightly ranked higher. Well, there's an argument. Yeah, I love Commando. Commando. Oh my gosh. When I saw this stand-up dummies being blown over and you could see their, you know, the the cardboard dummies being blown over by uh by the explosions, I was like, man, like, they really didn't put a lot of effort into this movie. The tool shed scene is so great. He yeah, man, he those takes, like circular saws. He takes that guy's wig right off. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. What a horrible movie. I uh, I think what you mean by horrible is <laughs> highly rewatchable and very enjoyable. Okay, maybe so. Last Action uh, Hero was good. Yeah, anyways, enough talk. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was my pick for the uh, of the bizarre. Sure. Okay. So uh, Logan. Yeah. Um, mine's real quick, and this is, I guess, mostly for people who own a PlayStations and play or pay for the PlayStation Network. Because, like, when you do that, you get PS Plus. And this month is in November. Uh, one of the PS Plus free games is Kingdoms of Amalar Re Reckoning, mm -hmm. which is a remaster of a last generation game that was written by Salvatore, R.A. Salvatore. Uh, R.A. Salvatore. And then designed by uh, Todd McFarlane, like the art direction was Todd McFarlane. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know, almost like, like it's an open world RPG, um, but it actually has like the like classic God of War mechanic. So it's like action oriented. It is definitely high, high fantasy um but it's fun it plays really well even though it's last generation the art direction is i think it's it it's very reminiscent of world of warcraft so if you hate that style you're probably not gonna like this art style but it's also kind of like makes it not seem like the graphics are so bad because it's got the stylized version so mm -hmm. um it's free uh it's easily you know 40 plus hours if you like rpgs it's got a good story that's voice acted i'm enjoying it um lots of class diversity like you can just change on the fly do whatever so if you like if you need some fantasy action in your life um that is free on playstation network but uh i'm getting i'm getting i think I'm, i don't know if i'm freezing i'm getting this message i think it says like jeez uh, that's that's logan for you his crap computer dogs what what i've heard that before greetings mortal rogues be not alarmed I what the... I have assumed control of this audio device to convey this message of vital importance. It may be that you know me not, though it defies belief. I am the magician Skull, summoned from my deathless sleep, but with one purpose, to publish the finest tales of sword and sorcery in this or any other dimension. Six issues of my majestic magazine, Tales from the Magician Skull, have so far appeared in print. 
And now Goodman Games has launched a Kickstarter for more issues. In them you will find daring deeds and swordplay, mayhem, horror, and action. Also, you will see wondrous illustrations and maps, all printed upon paper of stunning quality. Seek out the Kickstarter. Pledge your golden coins, and I will deliver unto you the greatest magazine in the history of existence. Join me now. Uh, so that was uh, the magician Skull uh, himself, and... Well, as you've heard, there is a Kickstarter going on, and how fortuitous, how serendipitous that that was going to be my pick for the Bazaar this week. So, if you've not checked it out, Goodman Games um, have a little little magazine. I shouldn't call it little. The skull's going to uh, burn me alive for that. Um, but right now, the magazine Tales from the Magician Skull is on Kickstarter. It is the finest magazine of its kind, period. It just is. Um, if you are into sword and sorcery and you like short fiction, but you also like it to come served up with wicked art and wicked covers from legends like San Julian and Ken Kelly. And um, RPG supplements. It's not just for the, the fiction. It's it's also the gaming. I'm super psyched that like I do have a story in there. Logan has one as Thank well. You. But it's going to be wicked when I finally get this thing, and it's got stats for a creature that I dreamed up. Yeah. That's amazing. That's super um, cool. Yeah, so as of this recording, I think it has eight days left on Kickstarter, so by the time this is up in a few days' time, most likely, um, there will still be days on it. So it's on Kickstarter. And it's been widely gone. successful. Like, yeah, what, it's already they, majorly funded. They had a goal of 10000 and they raised, last I checked, was like 40000 yeah, um, 45 or something. So let's uh, rock and roll that. Tell your friends. Um, if you want Sword and Sorcery to continue, you really got to support the new stuff. And there's um, probably uh, no better place to throw your smurducks, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's my pick. Uh, we're going to move along the um, line of faces that are on the top of my screen over to Morgan. All right. I was uh, the only thing the thing that comes to mind most recently, because I just did it the other night, was I had um, I got a peach vodka seltzer and an edible. And I sat down and I was like, I'm going to make sense of Lucio Fulci's Conquest, which oh. I assume everyone here is familiar with. But I paused it. I took notes. I looked things up to sort of piece it together because it's one of those films that's such a dream by it, just on its own, that trying to figure out exactly what is happening at any moment is uh, exciting. You know, or like like a, a mission I feel like I should have because I've seen it 20 times, but yet actually parsing it is a challenge. So I think that all sort of – I was getting there. I – Forget every time that it has like a big twist ending and it has a, uh, I didn't recall at all, despite all these times seeing it, that both of the villains like turn into wolves or come from wolves. And I was like, what are they even going with here? And then it led me down this rabbit hole when I was reading that Mace, the very not cool nunchucks guy, has the <laughs> uh, symbol of Eben on his forehead, but it's reversed from the Book of Ibn, from the Beyond. It's, I think it's Ibon. Ibon? Well, you guys would know. Yeah. 
I, I have no friends. I just talk to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so there's this whole fan theory about how they were interconnected and that maybe the hell world was the world of conquest. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say I solved it, Whoa. but it was a fun exploration. And I think as a community, we should all be trying to figure out what is going on. I need to see that movie together. then. I, I've seen the poster, but I've never seen the movie. So the first, the first 15 minutes are, uh, you're going to be like, this is the best movie that I've never seen. There is a, a pretty catastrophic drop off in quality after those first 15 minutes. <laughs> but it hums along yeah. with a lot of interesting okay. ideas. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> I mean, it's a good hour where you're like, why is this hour in this movie? And but now, <laughs> just so I'm clear, this is laser bow movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. My buddy, Jason, uh, he, he sent me that like a year ago to say you need to watch this and it's been in my watch list ever since i think i started it too but it was um let's say the hour was late and the cups were empty <laughs> I, I think when he sent that to you you sent it to alex and i when we yeah. first started the podcast and you're like we gotta check this out it's got a sick cover right with yeah. that oh, like yeah. um golden pseudo robot golem thing that's going on there i was like that looks dope it looks much cooler on the poster. <laughs> I suspected such is the plight with sword and sorcery often on screens yeah, that cool. uh, I, I've seen that wicked uh, Boris Vallejo cover for Deathstalker. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I've also seen Deathstalker. So I was, I begged my dad to rent Deathstalker every single time we went to the video store. And he was yeah. like, there's no way we're watching that together. Yeah. He's like, son, we are not watching that together. It gets really weird. At yeah. certain points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Phil, I think it's your turn, man. You got something? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, mine is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch to, to attach it to sword and sorcery. See if you can see if you can, if it's, let's see if I can jump the gap. Right. So for, the last year on and off, I've been making my way through this massive three volume biography of Orson Welles that Simon Callow, the actor, wrote. Uh, and it's I started it because I was like, oh, Orson Welles, that man had an interesting life. Yeah. Um, turns out it's more than an interesting life. It's like it's like an utterly unique life and gets more and more interesting after Citizen Kane in like in failure. He just becomes more and more fascinating. Uh, it connects to the genre at hand um, on, on two levels. One, that he, like, I would make the case that very few human beings in the 20th century led, like, a, the life of, like, a globe-trotting adventurer like, more than Orson Welles did. Like, mm. and he was, like, obsessed with magic and, like, stage magic, but also the occult in a certain sense. Like, he was mm -hmm. just a really, a really weird dude. So there's that. And then another level that attaches to the topic at hand is his Shakespeare adaptations, which are all amazing. And while they don't fit necessarily into, you know, canonical sword and sorcery, they are um, like his Macbeth is the sort of like primordial. Yeah, I was going to say unsettling Macbeth. Um, and his uh, Chimes at Midnight is just a, like a great portrait of like medieval life uh, and has oh. a, one of the greatest combat scenes or um 
ever put on screen, maybe. And he did it with like no money and all chutzpah, which is like his whole life after Citizen Kane is basically that all money or no money and all chutzpah and just like living by the seat of his pants. Um, So I don't know if I can recommend unless you're really a completist going through all three volumes, but I'm I'm on the third volume now and it doesn't even take there will be a fourth and maybe even a fifth one because it's a really in excruciating detail account of. Uh, wow! All the wow, crazy stuff that Orson Welles did, and he did some crazy stuff. Like, it, just... isn't he also on a metal fantasy album? Yes. Like if it, yep. right? <laughs> yeah, he he it towards the end of his life, like Transformers era Orson Welles. Like he did a voice in the Transformers movie. Some <laughs> what the hell was the name of the band? They were like, oh, we need to get that guy. Who's that guy with that voice? Oh, it's Orson Welles. Needs to come in and like read this. Like, as a man of war, I was yes. thinking man of war. It was yeah. man of war. Yeah, okay, it was man of war. And yeah. then I yeah. think they, they, yeah, he does this. Um, it's like he's talking about a storybook or something. Is it that one? Yes, yeah. And, oh. and then they, they redid it. Uh, actually, man of war re recorded that album and they replaced Orson Welles with uh, oh, Brian Blessed, I think. Mm. So I mean, sense. both pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. From my perspective, a little bit of a step down, like a lateral yeah, yeah. step down, but just yeah. slightly, just slightly. He's also okay. on one of my favorite albums. It's uh, an early uh, release of the Alan Parsons Project, Tales of Mystery and Imagination, which is a Edgar Allan Poe thematic album. Oh, oh wow! Cool. Awesome. Oh, listen to it. You guys would love it. There's there's something else that kind of brought up to me was the idea of like Shakespeare and sword and sorcery. You know, I'm sure somebody, some some egghead has written an essay on that, I'm sure. But I was thinking about it recently with like um, rereading the or or looking back at the call stories and uh, by this axe I rule. And like, I talk about that story all the time. Yeah, there's definite like it reminds me of a bit of Julius Caesar and a bit of Hamlet I mean, Call feels like Hamlet, or uh, yeah, Call feels a little bit Hamlet-like to me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, maybe that's a future discussion topic. Oh, and here was like the pulp of his time. It was like trashy, cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, Till he became the bee's knees, I guess. Now he's like in every middle school slash high school slash college English lit class because no one else can figure out anything else to read. <laughs> that is and changing also, and he was pretty you. good at what he was doing i mean oh like, yeah let's let's give him his due you know oh, there's there's so That's many fair. shakespeare's like... i love hamlet like i love hamlet i would read I, I, I hate that i teach middle school so that i because i can't really you know yeah i'm not gonna drop hamlet on the grade sevens it's not gonna work <laughs> uh anyway all right well i think we're ready to rock into it aren't we i believe so okay so gentlemen Perhaps. Uh, tell us about your movie. <laughs> That's a pretty vague question, but uh, or a pretty wide question. I just mean... Um, Shouldn't we introduce the movie? Yeah, but I, I kind of want... Uh, I mean, this, we're talking about The Spine of Night. And if you're in this community, this sword and sorcery or adjacent community, you probably heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, let's... I hadn't considered the spoiler angle. <laughs> good point i feel like we could just pop a warning up there um yeah. that there warning. may be yeah there, there may, may be spoilers, spoilers but we're not gonna try and you know go right for that yeah, um, i think we can flag specific responses if it's particularly dicey okay here's the question i would like to pose you what is your movie 
and why did you make it? Wow, that's that's a big one. Um, You can take that one. I'll take the softball. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Our movie is The Spine of Night. It's a rotoscope animated uh, fantasy epic, I'd like to think, that spans uh, centuries of time as we sort of follow the... uh, what happens when a very powerful magical flower finds its way into the wrong hands and everyone has to deal with it over the centuries. And as to the why, uh, I'd been making short films for years, uh, you know, th- three or four years before we started this. And I just loved rotoscope animation and it was something I could do in my row house and so I, and I wanted to tell fantasy stories and it seemed like the perfect vessel for that uh, and then when Phil got a hold of me I was like let's make a movie I was like I've got just the thing and so I it felt uh, inevitable from there yeah I was so, gonna say we we made it because okay. nobody else would make a movie like this was definitely part of the uh <laughs> part of the reason behind it was like you know when i first met morgan i'd seen exordium his short film and i was like oh that is a type of fantasy like a you know a fantasy sub subgenre that i hadn't seen on screen in a long time and it's a style of animation that i was familiar with from the bakshi films and heavy metal and just it felt you know well i loved it and it felt like something that i wanted to see on screen and i just sort of knew from having worked in Hollywood for a while that like nobody else would make it. So I was like, Oh, we, we need to do this because nobody else, nobody else will do it. And if we don't do it, you know, the 21st century will never see a fantasy rotoscoped or fantasy rotoscoped epic and it needs one. So that's, <laughs> that's good enough reason for anything. Really. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and actually that's what was so, I remember when I saw the trailer, I don't even remember when it was now, but it's like, what is this? How does this yeah. exist? Like, who made this now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I watched both, what, uh, Wrath of the Ape King and yeah. Exordium. I saw those before I even knew, like, the trailer. So, like, oh, I don't wow. know, maybe, I don't know, a year ago or something? Does that sound right? Um, and I really appreciated um, the crossover. Like, I thought that was super cool. Because, like, having seen it and then having it tie into your feature length film was super rad to me. So who awesome. does? Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, it's, I, uh, I don't, it was, believe it or not, when I started working on these back in 2012, 2011, it, everything didn't feel like an interconnected, uh, cinematic universe. <laughs> That's sort of become the default at this point. Yeah. yeah. Sure. It's so hot it, right now. Yeah. It felt novel when I was doing it. Um, you know, I always love that stuff where you can see little, you know, not, not even Easter eggs, but I like it when you can tell it's a shared world, yeah. but, but you totally don't have to have seen any other part of it. You know, like yeah. there's no, yeah. you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. We had like a brief discussion about that today on the Whetstone Discord, um, talking about, you know, it, it's kind of fun just to write the stories you want to write, but mm-hmm. if they are, if they're in the same world, then that's just an extra little layer rather than thinking in a linear fashion and trying to write a saga um as a creator that doesn't really interest me that much i like the idea of going back and perhaps piecing it together uh, or looking where these things can fit but yeah and something else you said there which i thought was really interesting is that your uh spine of night 
is more so about uh, a people or a, a civilization rather than just about less about the characters and more about the impacts over time, which I thought uh, was a very that's a cool approach. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think from a pretty early part in figuring out like how we wanted to tell the story, like telling, like putting the like collective over time as the like emotional center of the film mm. was uh, just, a, I think, an interesting puzzle for us in terms of like we knew we wanted it to be like sort of a semi anthology and it really lent itself to this you know, like asking the audience to empathize with a society or with the collective, which a lot of films don't do. Like most of the shorthand for film storytelling is very much about the individual, especially in genre of film, you know, the, often a hero. And it's even in something like Game of Thrones, it feels like you're seeing all these, these individuals against each other, but it's not really zoomed out to like a cosmic scale where you're looking at mm. them from way out. It reminded me a lot. So my grandpa made me read this because he loves James Michener, but it's a book called Century. And it starts with like, so it's historical fiction, but it starts in a cave with a dinosaur giving birth and then like awesome. travels through time, spending most of the time in the 1800s. But it ends with a character discovering the fossilized dinosaur egg. Oh, cool. And like spends all this time. Like it reminded me of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'll have to check that out. I um, the, the one book that I really was drawing on when we were like structurally is a canticle for Leibowitz, which I feel like I thought everyone had read, but then the more I bring it up in interviews, the more it turns out no one has read. Read it. Um, <laughs> my dad had it on the shelf. It had amazing art, so I read it at a formative age. And it's like a, I mean, the general idea is that it's like a post-apocalyptic monastic order, but the only bit of writing that is left over from the old pre-apocalyptic world is this guy Leibowitz's grocery shopping list and they start transcribing it into holy books and it becomes like the basis of their religion but then each um segment of the book is you know jumps hundreds of years you have new characters you move forward and, and you see like the world change over time and it's it's very cynical about religion but uh, I just, and I think I'll, like the monks transcribing stuff from that is directly in the film, mm. but the structure of like, let's focus on the world and the people, you know, as a whole over time is very rooted in that, but it has no dinosaurs, which is obviously and, a mistake. Well, uh, Canticle for <laughs> Leibowitz is like cited as an inspiration for the, uh, Fallout series by the people who've made it. Oh, oh really? Interesting. Yeah. That's the dry humor and then the jumping like 50 to 100 years each time kind of thing. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, one thing I kind of just got to get out of the way is is the idea of civilization versus barbarism um, is obviously a theme in Robert E. Howard's work, who is, you know, the sort of seminal sword and sorcery guy uh, in many ways. So I guess what's interesting is that I saw that all over your film and I would be very shocked if you guys weren't familiar with that sort of theme in Howard's work. But as you were just talking about the sort of monastic uh, section of the film, it isn't like it, the film doesn't feel as though you're taking Robert E. Howard's side on that. All of civilization is terrible and barbarism must ultimately triumph. It's kind of like 
Now nah, those books are important too. <laughs> These trappings of civilization are also important. So I, I don't know. What do you speak to that if you can? Um, I mean, I think for sure there's a monologue that uh, Joe Manganiello gives as Mongrel, which is mm. very much along those lines of his yeah. barbarous contempt for everything civilized. But I think it was interesting for us to, because we have so many characters and eras to like interrogate all the ideas from different perspectives, not just our own. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's a, I think the film is less, it's not really, I wouldn't say it's on the size of civilization so much as like opposed to unjust hierarchies. Mm. So it's like, I think it's a place that the barbarians would agree with in a way. I mean, they might be a, a might is right <laughs> group, but yeah. I think a lot of it is like, it's not that we should, that mean that we should probably do neither person. I mean, at least from my perspective, I mean, uh, so like, so some of like knowledge is great if you're not using it to like stratify and oppress everybody and mm -hmm. power is also like also useful if you're trying to distribute it among people to, you know, protect them. But throughout the film, I mean, I think there's a lot of that is like the tensions between like uh, Richard E. Grant's character, the Guardian talking to Lucy Wallace's character, uh, Zod, like they're going back and forth about how to share information and power. And I, that sort of filters out through all of that. Uh, I don't know, I'm sort of rambling. Do you have any no, 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 barbarian thoughts, Phil? <laughs> I always have barbarian thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think you've sort of nailed it. I mean, to, to me... It, it, uh, I like to think about things I write as like not answering questions, but posing questions or sort of existing in the tension between two ideas. So that tension between the civilization and the barbarism and the tension between, you know, um, knowledge and ignorance or, or keeping knowledge exclusive or making it available to everybody. Like uh, to me, the movie exists in the drama of the movie exists in the tension between those ideas and, and what I hope viewers take out of it is just sort of like a way to think about those questions. You know, mm. uh, they come away. Well, that's, you know, yeah, that's kind of how I took the film was that it, it was more of an asking questions and it wasn't a preachy movie. Um, I really didn't get that impression at all. And, <laughs> you know, as the internet goes, I saw some dude calling, <laughs> accusing the film of being woke. And I was like, man, all right, that, that might be a accusation you can level against things, but not this. Uh, I, so I kind of took him to task on it. But anyways, I feel like I feel like we wrote the movie before it was a thing. I never heard that. I mean, I so I looked it up to, 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 to think about the etymology of woke in pop culture. <laughs> yeah. So it, it has been a term for longer since before we wrote the movie. But I don't think I was aware of it as a term huh. at all. No, until, it's it's it, I think it's mainly been used as a pejorative like the last couple of years, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what I was thinking is that I remember a time when you could just write something that had perspectives and you wouldn't get accused of like, yeah. I don't know, art kind of makes statements and asks questions. That feels reasonable, but sorry, so Dean. What, what, you... what, what issues did he consider to be woke? I don't really want to get too into it, but <laughs> I feel like it boiled down to the fact that our lead in the film um, wasn't a sexy lady. Didn't look like Tarna or like Tigra, you know, from Is Fire it, and Ice. Tigra, Tigra from Fire and Ice. And I'm not Tigra. sure uh, 
that's not in my rubric of wokeness uh, of what would that what would be determined as that. So I, I, it was. Strange. I mean, I don't get it's that sh- shorthand for just anything that is not traditionalism. I think. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. this point, uh, that's right. I mean, we wanted to make someone who like a lead that looked different from your usual fantasy lady. Now, and we're both huge fans of all of that art and all that stuff, but it also is, you know, a lot of it's derived like from the 30s. You know, it's a it's a century old at this point, and I think it's okay to modernize representations of human beings in. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. So, yeah. I got a question for you. Was I think it was uh, Luke from the Chromecast um, mentioned? Yeah. He 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 pointed out that. She sort of has the shape or aesthetic of an, a fertility idol, yeah. right? If you look at some of those, I don't know if that was intentional or not. When I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah. damn, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, very much so. That was uh, on my mind. Like, I've always, you know, I've always been a fan of like this, you know, this Zoftig-shaped women. I've always thought that was, an, an which is very derived. I mean, like, I think traditionally comes from the idea of like mm-hmm. the fertility goddess in the original script even she was so like emanating that vibe is that when she was walking up the mountain there were plants growing in her footsteps like through the snow and uh had like animal companions who were with her like she was way more of an overt like nature goddess vibe uh but it felt like Ultimately, that it was, we're already throwing you at you, a naked lady walking up a mountain as a cold open in the film. So, yeah, yeah, like cold adding, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I actually saw the movie after I was made aware of the conversation Matt had. So, like, it was in my mind. Ah, damn it. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. Cause I was like, this just looks like a normal lady. Yeah. Like, like i'm sure that i like i don't know it was just it was like bonkers to me like i don't know yeah i don't know i think people just get really prickly when um you change anything and it's like because you're doing rotoscoped and you you know clearly like heavy metal and you like you know you have respect for fire and ice and frazetta that you need to do everything like that it's just a weird it's a weird expectation um it's a weird critique to level to me too like i find myself wondering if Zod had been drawn like Tigra, would he have liked the movie? Like, was that was that really the only thing that bothered him? Was was that like I, I, yeah. I don't I think I don't lose any way to possibly answer that, but it's it's that's an right. interesting yeah. thing to think about. And this is an unnamed person who isn't there to defend themselves, yeah, so it's probably not yeah. right for me to even broach the topic. But it's just you know these are in our common in our in our current. Um, Social media discourse, it, these things come up and we I mean, talk it's about It's also relevant to the genre. Like, we have this discussion. It comes up a lot on the West Zone Discord. Like, it's not like it's outside of the wheelhouse. So, Yeah. And it was, like, something we did intentionally. Like, I mean, yeah. I, the film, you know, we have deep love and nostalgia for, you know, Bakshi films and Fire and Ice and Heavy mm. Metal. But, like, it, I didn't want it to just be nostalgic pastiche like it was important no, that totally. we were gonna do it i wanted to do make the changes that i thought would be really true to the story we were telling I mean, like the yeah. world we envisioned i think there's also th- this aspect like uh you know we watched and again like i say this with love for for heavy metal and love for the genre but like you know when you even when we were shooting the live action of the 
that we brought everybody over to my house one evening to watch heavy metal. And among the people we brought was Betty Gabriel, who's in the movie, one of the actresses, and she'd never seen heavy metal. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, we're going to watch heavy metal. And I'd never watched it with somebody who really isn't a fan of the genre. And is also a woman. So, and like watching it with her, I was like, I could, I felt embarrassed by it. Like, and I was like, Oh my God, like this is, and like, so she's, and, and so in thinking more about that, I was like, one of the intentions with this movie is to try to like, show to people who would see heavy metal and be like this is just cringeworthy like male juvenilia like t- you know s- strip it of some of that stuff and show it to people and be like this is this is what the genre can do mm-hmm. if you can if you can sort of you know leave some other baggage in the past it can it can tell really deep stories without that you know um, right. I watched it with my fiance and she is not a nerd like me it was a very different reaction to the- <laughs> yeah. are you talking heavy metal or uh Spine of night, spine of of night, and not like a bad reaction, but like it was a lot to take in for someone not initiated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's somewhat expected. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can I Um, diverge a little bit from the the discussion of the topic of the movie? Uh, But I kind of wanted to get into some of the production aspect because that also interests me a lot too. Um, kind of the well, first off. Most people probably know what rotoscope is, but if you don't mind giving a short description of what rotoscope is. Sure, sure. It's, um, I mean, it's as old as animation itself. Some of the very first uh, animation was uh, the centaurs, which are, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rotoscope humans on with horse bodies. But the general uh, idea behind it is you film live action humans as reference footage. Right. And then use those frames directly as like the basis for your animation in terms of like, and and people do it all sorts of different ways. Sometimes you're really, really devoted to the, to the video. Sometimes you diverge quite a bit from it. Mm -hmm. It's a whole range of styles that work with it, but the short version is you film it in live action and then you animate over the live action as a reference. Okay. So, this is a related question, Dean. Related question. There's a YouTuber out there named Joel Haver, and he rotoscopes short films that are like com- comedic. Have you are you familiar? I I don't know if he uses oh, yeah. a different method than you do because he has a video that details his method, which blew my mind. But yeah, he's using a software called EBSynth, which is really cool software, and he's doing amazing work with it. Like I love it. We experimented with it. A- about five years into the process and I it's uh it loses so much data every time the head turns like it's really good if you're not moving much or if you're using like an oil paint style but the actual lines that we draw that you know the cartoon lines of the face every time the head moves it just eats them in in a couple of Mm -hmm. frames so uh and it's largely I mean the, the, the automation of it just it's getting there but it's not there yet Right. Sure, sure. We did it the hard way, which is frame by frame with keyframes. We drew on a computer, but it's as hand drawn as wow that could that's, possibly be. That's really cool. So, how much detail is necessary in the actual filming? Um, I mean, did you have to go into real depth with costumes and and weaponry and background scenery and stuff like that that they were interacting with? Um, pretty minimal. Uh, we did a lot of work with costumes, although I think all the animators uh, would agree that it was of, you know, intermittent usefulness. 
but certainly weapons and such where you, you know, used uh, several different lengths of dowels and affixed different cardboard attachments to them to take mm-hmm. the different weapon shapes, you know, spears and axes. Um, and in, in the environment, we, we really just had a few things. We had a, an area rug that we used as like the, the walls often. Uh, we had a painter's scaffolding you could roll, roll around and you could like, we used it both to get high angles and mm-hmm. for like something like we use it as the bar cells, the bar, uh, bars of mm-hmm. the prison cells and like, uh, like this wagon with the books. Oh yeah. Yeah. The wagon with the books. Someone crawls up it. Like it's the exterior of a wall. We got so much mileage out of this painting. <laughs> uh, we, and we had yoga balls that we would use to simulate the horse riding mo- movements <laughs> when people are on horseback. Interesting. Uh, so things yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, but it was very minimal on set. So, so there wasn't an actual horse. No. Did they draw the horse? horse? Yes. The wow. horse was just there. Okay. Cause the horse is like, I was like, man, that'd be hard to animate that horse moving, but like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, fortunately there's a lot of reference footage sure. that exists of uh, horses running. I think well, I found a loop from like Weta had published a like a tech demo twelve years ago or something of like the Lord of the Rings horse that they used in their mm-hmm. when they, they for their massive software where they like would generate the crowds. It was like their horse, yeah. but, but they just had a loop of it running. And you just bring it up, so I just like studied it while I was animating. That's crazy. That's super cool. So. Uh, when you had the the production done, did your voice actors see the finished product or like uh, some type of like you know pre-production or pre-post-production type of stuff to add in the the voice so, track? So uh, they saw oh, basically the finished product. Like mm-hmm. we we recorded audio with our motion cap actors who are all quite talented. So by the time we brought in our voice cast, um, the lips were already animated. So our voice cast was largely um, having to match the rhythm of the original performance, but with, you know, some leeway to, to, um, especially Richard D. Grant's character, cause he wears a mask and a lot of stuff is voiceover, yeah. but they were, um, yeah, they were all, uh, you know, within the last year and a half to two years of production. So they, they were largely seeing the almost finished product when mm-hmm. they were recording, which is not normal, normally how animation is done. So did that. Yeah. I, like the lip syncing was good. Yeah, and so I was like, I know the actors and the actresses that like the voices are different, and I was like, how did this happen? But yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. I, so I went back they, in and polished it up too. Sure, sure. Gotcha. Did the voice actors uh, perform all in the same place? Did they do it remotely? Did they do it, you know, online, or did they just uh, send was, their lines in? No, no, it was also uh, nobody. In the final performances that you hear, nobody was in the same room at the same time. Wow. Because uh, we did it we did it during COVID mostly. So mm-hmm. it was like I would sit in this room here and be on a Zoom chat with, you know, Betty was in Los Angeles and Lucy was in New Zealand and Richard was in France the first time we recorded him and then London the second time. And then some other actors were in Philly. So it was really uh, all different uh all over the world i mean they they could hear the other side of of it right so they were able to i mean it's you're never going to get the same chemistry as being in the same room but they could they could hear the performance that had been given 
or that they were, you know, reacting to. So I think that helped to to make it all of a piece. But yeah, it was all uh, just people in rooms <laughs> by themselves. So, yeah. How did you land Lucy Lawless? Uh, so we, um, I mean, sort of the same process for everybody. We went through their agents and I, we sent them the movie in the state that it was in, which was, you know, maybe 80% done. And then the script, and then I wrote them each a letter, like a personal letter that was like, this is the movie, this is Labor of Love, it's taken this really long time, this is the part we want you to play, and this is why I think you would be perfect for it. So Lucy got one of those, um, and then watched it and immediately wanted to do it, uh, just because... <laughs> I think because she thought we were nuts, to be honest. She like, <laughs> which is kind of the same reason that Joe says, Joe Manganiello said he wanted to do it. But uh, she, she just like thought it was crazy that we had made this thing and that we wanted her to voice this naked swamp, which she, she has told the story a couple of times about how after she said she wanted to do it, one of her reps told her not to do it because of the way that the, that Zod was drawn. Um, and she didn't, and the rep was like, well, you don't want people to think that that's, you, you want people seeing you that way. And is he on Facebook and does he think it's too work? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, <that's... laughs> oh man. Mm. Ball goes off. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she did it anyway. I mean, she, which is, which is, you know, exactly what you would want of Lucy Lawless for her to be like, no, of course I'm going to do this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was great. I, uh, yeah, it's so much fun to work with. Yeah, she seems like a real treasure and a lot of nerd pedigree, right? Like, oh, yeah. She, you know, Xena, Spartacus. Notice Spartacus. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was in that. Yeah. The, the yeah. Evil Dead show. Yeah. Evil yeah. Dead show. Yeah. Yeah. She's in, well, she's in the first Raimi Spider Man. I brought that I up when I was talking to her. I told her that was my favorite part she'd ever played. I'm not sure if she thought that was funny or not, but uh -huh. I thought it was funny. We're the first time her and Joe Manganiello have been reunited in the same film since Spider Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he played Flash Thompson. Yeah. That's right. Joel is also really into this stuff. Isn't he a big D&D &D guy? Oh, yeah. 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 So, like, this seemed natural. I mean, Matt's wearing his shirt. Right yeah, here. I got the yeah. Death Saves swag, the Frazetta Girls slash um, yeah, Death yeah, Saves. Yeah. It's good stuff. I dig it. I will buy more. I am always happy when nerds get nerd parts. Yeah. <laughs> like it just brings a whole other level to it, I think. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Henry Cavill seems to be one of those. Yeah, Which, coincidentally, I heard that they were talking to him about a Highlander remake. Which I'm not a big Highlander fan, but it sounds like that's in the works. So, well, what I say to the remake is there can be only one. What <laughs> <laughs> you set that joke up? Is that or did you just no? That's just, no, organic. That was, just that was that's, organic. That's the clever, clever <laughs> stuff. Get on Rogues Amazing. in the house, buddy. Blew my mind. <laughs> Quality content. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he gets paid the big bucks. I get paid nothing. Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> You're lying to the guests here. I dropped me a message the other day. said, when are you going to bring the Arnold voice back on the podcast? And so here it is. Cold-blooded bastard. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. That's a good impression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's real good at it. It's crazy. We let him out sometimes. <laughs> so i guess what i want to ask outside of the film is what this is sort of a question i like to pose to the guests is like what is your history with the genre so you know we don't have to break it down to just sword and sorcery but just fantasy in general um sword and planet whatever you want to roll up into there um i'd be interested to hear you know what were the what were the the initial moments that got you into this? Oh, I mean, 
I almost can't even remember a time that I wasn't. I was really fortunate to grow up in like the exact window where every bit of pop culture was this kind of stuff. Like it's when yeah. He-Man and Thundar were on TV. It was like, I mean, He-Man was my first love as a like three-year-old. And, um, you know, uh, all the Bakshi films, like The Hobbit was you know, on all the time, the Rankin-Bass one. We talked about that last week and how That's much like, we, we treasure that and yeah. want to do an episode on it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So good. Even the sequels are okay. I mean, yeah. they're a step down, but yeah, yeah they're good. Um, so it was all of that. And then, I mean, like the, I, I saw the Black Cauldron in the theater and then I became obsessed with the books. After that, I dressed up as the Horn King for Halloween. The Book of Three, Lloyd Alexander, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, That's the one. Yeah. I yeah, literally I read, that back read in the, the first chapter of that to my kid this evening. He was bored wow. out of his mind, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to read this to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first, The first chapter's cool, though, right? Like, dude, uh, Horned King pops out of the bushes, I think. That's not in the first chapter, I can uh, tell okay. you. What's in okay. the first chapter is uh, Tarin trying to make a sword and getting told he has to make a horseshoe and then listening to... Um, the old man whose name I can't remember right now, okay. like tell him that he's not going to tell him things and that he can't go in the woods. And then the pig runs away. And that's where the chapter ends. <laughs> he just wanted to yeah. do the proverbial trip to the Toshi station to pick up some power converters, <laughs> right. but he so had to make horseshoes. <laughs> damn it. Uh, sorry, Morgan. We uh, uh, jumped in on that. Oh, no, no. I mean, look, this, we could do all black cauldron talk, frankly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like it was, I was deeply immersed in it. And then that was right at the time that D&D really broke through. It's in the mid eighties into the mainstream in a real, in a big way. So it, you know, swept like wildfire through my school. My first like best friend at school uh, and I were both like saw each other waiting for the bus, looking at the red box. Oh yeah. And we were just like, you know, we were fast friends. I mean, I, like he, yeah, we still talk to this day. So, uh, and then once it was D&D, I was really into that. And that carried me all the way through to like being a little older when uh, I went to the, like the, a very origin story forming uh, a sleepover at Alan Brainerd's house and his older sister's older boyfriend brought a bootleg tape that had Creepshow 2 and Heavy Metal on it. Okay. And they smoked what I was told were clove cigarettes. <laughs> that might not be true. <laughs> In retrospect, I think that's not what that smell was. And But we were just kids, you know, we just sat there and just, I was, my mind was blown yeah. by those two films. And so they, you know, they that just ingrained a, a deep love and all that, and you know, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. I worked at a hobby shop uh, throughout all of high school, the only one in town. And that was like right when Magic the Gathering came out, like right with Alpha. And so we were there at the very wow. beginning of that. I don't know. And then just my whole life has been uh, nerd stuff. Yeah. So. That's where I am. I, I love that like heavy metal has blown so many minds. Like if you... <laughs> I'm kind of sympathetic to what Phil was saying too with the idea of like probably hasn't aged so well for the modern audience who has no nostalgic connection right because even if you knew that like this is from a time and place um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if you're coming into that cold like 
there were multiple <laughs> multiple opportunities to be embarrassed while watching that movie from like coke snorting aliens to like yeah, i mean yeah. it, the list really goes it's, on and on it's so totally my crazy. only experience with heavy metal like i i can't say like i'm an avid fan or anything but like my parents we used to have dish satellite and dish satellite had these themed channels and there was like a horror or like an action kind of like themed channel and at like 11 p.m. one night, heavy metal was on. And I knew that Sammy Hagar, because I'm a big Van Halen fan, <laughs> had a song in this movie. So I watched it. I was like, what is this? Yeah. That was the only time I've seen it. I yeah. love that Sammy Hagar brought you to heavy metal. That's yeah. that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. There's and no he, wrong way in. He yeah. did the title song, right? Heavy yeah. metal. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, man. Great soundtrack, too. <laughs> so, good. Phil, what about you? What uh, What's your... Oh man, I mean, History. so uh, similar, I guess. Like as a kid, I was all about Tolkien, and then I never played D anD D as a child uh, growing up, but because I didn't have any friends. Uh, but I, I mean, some <laughs> nobody wanted to play. But I, but I became aware of the books, right? Like I had an older cousin. I, I probably saw this first. Who had forty k and like four hundred fantasy roleplay books, and I was just like, I need, I need those because they're amazing. So I got them. I got my mom to buy them for me, and I would just like spend. Can maybe even see like those. There are the old realms of chaos books that they don't make anymore because they're like too adult. Like so, I still wow. still keep them around. Uh, and then I would go to Walden Books in the mall to like the back far back corner, the bottom shelf where they would like have AD and D books, and I would just like oh buy yeah AD and D books and just sit around and you know read them and wonder myself how does Thacko work? How could this, what is this system? Who would, <laughs> who would make such a crazy system? Yeah. How uh, does it summon Satan? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. How does any of this work? Thacko's the secret ingredient. <laughs> uh, and then like, I mean, I don't know, all through high school, I read super nerdy stuff. I, this is my, my, and I don't know if it's as embarrassing as I think that it is, but like for some reason, when I was in, how old was I? I was probably like, freshman in high school i started reading the Piers anthony xanth books and i just like read like a ton of xanth books until i got to like the color of her panties or something there's like some really embarrassing yeah. books, and yeah. suddenly i was like what why am i reading this <laughs> like, like, what, like there must be better fantasy out there than these like unfilled ridiculous Piers anthony books but for a while i was really into them and i still think about um i can't remember the name of it but the very first xanth book which has that really great a spell for chameleon yes thank you yeah. which has that great idea that like he like they think he doesn't have everybody has a magic power and they think he doesn't have one but he actually has like the ability of um good luck right so like it's like a, an amazing way to build deus ex machina into your story <laughs> by, uh, yeah, by, by, yeah. like but like ground it in your world and then yeah. use it as a great narrative reveal that it's actually he's just an incredibly lucky lucky guy um yeah, I still think fondly of them, but I am also still deeply embarrassed. It's like heavy metal. I'm embarrassed by a lot of the stuff, but I try to like, you know, yeah. bring it forward. That, that's something I kind of wanted to bring up when we were talking about the the woke thing. I'm not, I don't want to go back to that so much, but the idea that this genre, um, I mean, it's not the, the, the advertising and the covers would have you believe that it's all about power fantasies and like you know dreams for young men who are like oh this is the stuff i'm into but the the thing that keeps you coming back is not that it's adventure stories it's uh you know Mm -hmm. it's people overcoming impossible odds it's fast moving plots it's weird magic it's beasts it's freaking ape kings you know (laughs) come on 
it's that kind of stuff. It's not about, you know, and even the older stuff, of course, you have to keep telling people this, but like the stories Robert E. Howard wrote for, you know, every damsel he had, he also had a fierce warrior woman who could handle her stuff. Like, so I'm glad that we're getting new, new material um, dropped into this genre that is sort of taking those cringy pieces out. And it's not that it's not that those cringy pieces have to go die. It's not that they no longer exist. We're not burning the books. It's just if you want something like this to survive or to persist, it's got to sort of get with the times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just like that's the journey of every genre, right? Like yeah. it has to it, it has to um, find its footing in the modern era or it will be relegated to like dusty used bookstores, you know, like it's yeah. just, and, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. Like that's how, that's how genres persist, you know, mm -hmm. um, the ones, the ones that can slug it out and, and find, you know, some relevance to the present day are the ones that, that go on, you know, something I really appreciate that you said earlier, um, was that you didn't want it to be all about the nostalgia when you were doing it. Cause like, we kind of had this discussion. We were talking about the new He-Man show a couple episodes ago. Like things can't exist on nostalgia alone. Right. And I really appreciate that you wanted to bring something like new and fresh and put your own twist on it. Instead of relying on just like, yeah, we could have just done our own take of fire and ice, but you really took it to another level. I think that's, that's what art's supposed to do. It's I will art. argue that uh, marketing on nostalgia can exist on its That's own. That's true. Yeah, you market <laughs> oh, yeah. nostalgia. That's fine. But because yeah. Matt, and, yeah, Matt and I are going through our retirement. Yeah, Matt's a sucker for He-Man. Uh, oh man, I've been buying a lot of pictures of it today on the whetstone. He's like, "Look at my action figures." <laughs> you can they're, they're, Oh my god, <laughs> Master of the Universe Origins are—they're the Lego of action figures. Okay. All the pieces you can pull them off and swap them. So I'm making all these crazy combinations of of He Man yeah, like a dudes, Superman, Beast Man, yeah, something I, going on. Yeah, that's yeah, wicked. Anyway, cool. no, it's cool. It that's is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, what are you gonna do? You, you finally get to the point where you can afford some things. You gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta buy them. Yeah. You gotta buy some He Man things. I completely <laughs> understand. <laughs> I gotta buy an unreasonable amount. <laughs> <laughs> I have a five-year-old, guys. I have an. He's got pictures. Of, he's like making his kid play with it. Just yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, Matt, I, Matt's telling him this is your inheritance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These will be worth nothing, um, but it doesn't matter. But the, uh, you know, Masters of the Universe was the gateway drug for sword and sorcery for almost everybody. I don't care what you like. There's a lot of people yeah. who you know are really old, and you know they were around before that, but. For so many of us, it really was the gateway drug. And so you yeah, can't throw absolutely. too much shade at it. Yeah, no, totally. Now, I think you'd still go back and look at a, lot, at a lot of the early, like the background paintings are still really bizarre and yeah. psychedelic. Yeah. The, the castle, or the Skeletor, the other one, the, yeah, Grayskull. From the yeah. side, like where, it, like, like when you don't just see the straight on of the door with the drawbridge, but like I saw some concept art, and I think maybe it's in the pilot where you can see it like from the side, it's way weirder than mm. that it ever was in my mind's eye. Like the, uh, like the, where it goes down into the earth and it's like almost animal shaped and yeah. stone. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and if, if you look inside of the thing, there's like a weird astronaut guy was on the sticker <laughs> and there's like a, you know, a tentacle pit and all this jazz. It's like, that's <laughs> totally wicked. Yeah. Um, so how somehow we got Master of the Universe in there again. Boom. 
<laughs> did it. Um, do you guys have other questions you got lurking there, uh, Dean or Logan? Once I, I do. Yeah, I have let's one hear question it. I am dying to ask. Okay. Have you played Dark Souls? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. The mask. The, well, the so, mask. I mean, I'm sure I was thinking of Dark Souls when designing that character. And like I was a year it was or like a year after Exordium came out, because it's the same mask. You can see right. it the background it fills unfilled. Yeah, I bed. see it over there, yeah. Uh, the prop we used. Um, and I started getting all these comments about Giant Dad, which mm-hmm. I was, I had stopped playing the game by the time that that had happened. I would, I sure. completed my Dark Souls time. And, uh, and so I had to look it up, but uh, clearly they also love bronze masks with beards, like bro- bronze yeah. age bronze masks with the full beard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that that's what I was thinking about when sure. working on that. That's rad. That's a good one. Cool. So I, I hadn't played it, but then I played it before we shot, I think, because Morgan's like, oh, yeah, I have to play Dark Souls. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, and then uh, I, I loved it, and I have played all of the prom games since then, yeah. because they're so good. I feel so emasculated. So <laughs> Elden Ring coming out. That's yeah. yeah, well, uh, uh, Morgan and I went out to lunch. We happen to live in the same city, and uh, he was talking about Dark Souls, and I had that moment where I just have to hang my head of, like, I know it's awesome, I know I'd like it, but I'm too much of a wuss to put yeah, up with and it. And I want to go play it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I, I think just for the art design alone, it's yeah, worth watching definitely. like yeah. compilation videos on YouTube. Like it, I'm so in love with all the art they do. Mm-hmm. I was I was thinking about as I have a PlayStation Five of uh, grabbing Demon Souls. Oh yeah. Because it looks wicked. It looks like it's still. $90 in case. I know. I know. I know. $90. Bucks. I saw it on sale for like 60 and I was like, mm-hmm. but if I hate it and it like crushes my soul, uh, pun intended, I guess. Um, yeah, that's the point. And that's still 60 bucks. I could buy a lot of Masters of the Universe for that guy. <laughs> and I could swap all the parts. So. so that's a good question. How much does a Master of the Universe figure go for now? Uh, oddly enough, they seem to be cheaper in Canada than in the U.S., which blew my mind. Hmm. I get them for like thirteen ninety seven Canadian a piece at EB Games or fourteen ninety nine at Walmart, hmm. and those are Canuck bucks. Those are yeah, inferior. I said it's only like ten bucks or yeah. nine. Yeah, US. interesting. Yeah, but in the U.S., I see the prices, and they're somewhere like sixteen ninety nine, eighteen ninety nine. Oh. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Well, I will say freedom is not so free here. down there, is it? Huh? Yeah. Uh, who's a, who's a socialist now? Everybody, everybody's using the whole uh, supply chain excuse. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. If there's ever a figure you want, it's not popular in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So there's <laughs> all on the shelves. I can look for you. Just oh, out there. you know what? I hadn't thought of it, but yeah. I'll probably put you on that, Logan. So. <laughs> all right. You know what? why we hired these filmmakers on here? So we could talk about you doing Masters of the Universe errands for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dean? You got any uh, other burning questions? No, my questions were answered. I was really interested in the, the production part of it and how that all came together. I'm a big fan of rotoscope stuff, too. And, and the Lord of the Rings rotoscope, uh, what was that, 70 – what year was that? Seventy-eight, maybe. Seventy-eight. Maybe seventy. That still is just one of my favorite things to watch. I just love it so much. Yeah, I need to go back yeah. to that and have another watch of that. Mm-hmm. 
I really love the backgrounds in those. And like you were saying about Masters Universe too, those old just sort of, you know, painted backgrounds. And you guys obviously did a lot of them in Spine and Night as well. Yeah. You can just put such a, you can set a scene so quickly with those. And, you know, when you're animating, it's not the same as building an entire set for it. So it's like, you, you just have a bounty of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I mean, um, we we were so lucky to work with so so many amazing painters. Like the, I didn't realize how much like the concept art scene had blown up, and they're like they mostly don't get to do backgrounds that are actually for the finished product, you know, since yeah. they're doing them for film. Huh. Uh, so I think it was really fun for a lot of them to get to do something that was going to be interacted with visually. Mm. So. I mean, amazing painters. It was a mind-blowing moment when they first started, like, rolling in and we were able to slot them in behind the animation. And it was just Mm -hmm. incredible. I was also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just going to say, this is just something I wanted to point out that is, like, personally satisfying to me. I like it when my fantasy doesn't get too too much tech, you know, too much science fantasy. Um, And what you guys did at the end with, like, sort of the airships you kind of hid all the wires and it didn't feel so much like a, a piece of tech as it did just about weird science or like, what the hell is that? Um, and like, what is the power source? No one knows. It just, it still feels magical um, while uh, still feeling uh, like, I don't know. I, I'm rambling now, but. It was it's, less it's kind of, steampunk. That's what you were looking oh, for. Oh, I don't. Matt, don't do steampunk. <laughs> don't yeah, do I mean, we very much did not want it to resemble. I mean, I think yeah. people have been like, oh, the steampunk section. But I think generally they it doesn't resemble that. There's not a lot of top hats and monocles. No, exactly. Uh, it didn't feel that steampunk to me. Like, I, I guess the, the bird people have a bit of that because they have goggles you know yeah, yeah. but they're also bird people of course they have goggles yeah and they they were actually like you know well they weren't actually hybrid bird people what am i saying here? anyone's gonna have goggles with bird people like, yeah but the, well there's a practical purpose yeah, when i see yeah. a guy at a convention wearing goggles i'm like what are you doing <laughs> he doesn't know he pulls a monocle out of his pocket doesn't make any sense yeah i mean the we wanted to like make the tech advance as the eras moved yeah. on without losing cool. the medievalism of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was well done for sure. I, mean, I, I have a question. Uh, yeah. So I would, why, uh, this is something I tend to ask people because I'm fascinated. What, what were each of your favorite section in the film? Hmm. So I'll go because this was like, this was like a revelation to me. This is like a, a light bulb moment. And it's really early in the film, actually. But, like, you see Mongrel, and, like, I was familiar with Mongrel from Wrath of the Ape King. So it's like, no, this is the juvenile in me. I was like, this guy gets it, right? <laughs> this guy, he's got ladies all over him. And then the very next scene is, like, the eunuch king Mongrel has yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, like, that is really, like, that was, that was a good twist. That was an expectation that I had that was not met, and I loved it. Wait, wait, that's why this film is woke. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Hold on, we had the beefy guy and he was a eunuch. What the hell? Yeah, no, that was super cool. Like, that is cool. Yeah, it was like, I don't know. That was just a really good detail <laughs> that I didn't expect because I had a certain like, this is what I want. Or like, I, I know from this genre and then it wasn't that. And I was like, whoa, yeah, that's yeah. cool. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, for me, I feel like, uh, I mean, I really like the, um, I always like tribal stuff. Um, so the bit at the beginning and the ultra violence just starts kind of breaking through. Mm-hmm. Um, I really dug that. I liked all the stuff with, um, you know, Lucy Lawless's character. Yeah. Um, but I think technically speaking, the thing that kind of um, impressed me the most was the, 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 the airship and the, the flying characters and just when all hell kind of broke loose there, it, it had a satisfying ending. And actually I said this to Morgan too, um, for what this is worth is that I found myself thinking about it the next day and then the day after that. And really for me, those are the films that obviously have had an impact. It keeps coming back in my mind. Um, and I was hoping to sit down and watch it again before we recorded tonight. I didn't get to it, but if you can craft something that does stick around and I, I think about it after it's, it's always a remarkable thing. So, uh, you know, my favorite scene, I don't know, but overall the arc really worked. Um, and it stuck with me. I would have to agree with Matt. I think my favorite was the ending, uh, the final conflict and such. And, um, was it Patton Oswald that did the, the, he was the king at the beginning. Yeah. yeah the king. The beginning, yes. He was so easy to hate. Yeah. yeah and yeah. he's got that voice. Yeah. Yeah. He was just so easy to hate. I enjoyed that. I mean, it's like, oh, I don't have any problem hating this guy. I hope he dies. And, you know, he did. So This is why anti-woke people should like the movie, because they hate Pat Oswald, right? So they should be like, <laughs> I want to come see Pat Oswald get his face burned off. We should oh. advertise it that way. Yeah, I like Pat Oswald. I yeah, do, too. I, I do, too. Justified. Like, I got nothing against him, but yeah. Um I was no. going to ask, this is more on like the production slash business side because I recently discovered like I'm a business nerd, but I noticed doing some research on the YouTubes that you had trailers sponsored by Sh- by Fangoria and Shudder, which um, Fangoria is a magazine dedicated to like horror stuff. If listeners aren't familiar, it's old um, or older, like it's been around a while. And Shudder is a streaming service that specializes in horror so it seems like horror is a theme here, but I was uh-huh. kind of curious, like, how does that connection get made? Does that make sense? Like, how do you yeah. connect with, like, the magazine and or the, the streaming service? So uh, I'm afraid I don't have the answer. I could posit yeah. an answer for Vangoria. I have the answer for Shudder. You know, Shudder will be our, like, streaming home eventually. Like, you know, right now the movie's rentable. Um, sure. But then... Arch of next year, I think. Uh, sometime in the spring next year, we'll be streaming on Shutter, so anybody who has a Shutter subscription can can just watch the movie there. I would assume that at some point during the like you know PR push, that Shutter or our other distributors were like, "Hey, Fangoria, run this trailer." Sure. So I, I think that's how that happened. Um, but the Shutter one is a, is a specific business connection, and that will be yeah. on their service. No, I was just curious because I was familiar with both those things, you know, um, but. I guess where can they watch? Where can people who haven't seen your awesome movie watch your awesome movie? I know it's on Amazon, six ninety nine to rent, and it's like nine ninety nine to buy. And if you like this stuff, I highly suggest that you buy it because ten bucks is a steal. Also, leave reviews because as of this episode, there are only twenty one reviews, and it deserves more. So, where else can we watch it? Let's see. I've got I've got the list here. Oh, you do uh, excellent. <laughs> it is on iTunes. Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, Xbox, and Redbox on demand in the United States. Okay. But not in Canada. 
Yeah, Canada's always a freaking question mark, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we're still on Amazon in Canada. If, if I looked the other day, we weren't, but mm. it's definitely on like Google Play, YouTube, uh, and I mean, everyone. We're all Voodoo users, I'm sure. We're, we're going to get dropped off Voodoo because they make fun of it every time it comes up. Um, <laughs> anyway, and, and iTunes, and we've got uh, it's playing in what do we got? Nine theaters currently. Yeah, um, it was playing in the theater in Albuquerque here in my hometown um, on Halloween. Unfortunately, yeah. I couldn't make it because that would been that would been awesome. But I, yeah, so yeah, it was in the local theater. I, all, everyone I know in Texas um, through my brother works at a Minnow Mountain who do the rotoscope show for Amazon Undone. But mm. they were all, they were like we were playing for one night only in Austin, Texas, and they were like, "Oh, we want to go," and then they're like, "Oh, that's the night of our Halloween party. We mm-hmm. just can't." And so, yeah, that's yeah, anyway. unfortunate timing. But uh, it's it's tough to get an indie film out in between Dune and Halloween. And oh yeah, stuff, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, there's a show, there's a screening coming up in Halifax here in a couple weeks or a week or two, so. I'll Sorry. probably go check that out. Uh, cool. Not often. I, I reserved a ticket for you. You so. did? Yeah. Sick. I'll be there. Uh, Morgan, awesome. you should you should plug our merchandise. You do such a good job. Oh yeah. Okay. So it always feels. I always feel just selling merch. I'm not. A, I'm not a natural like salesman. Yeah, merch but, is important. It's that's an important part the, of things. The merch we have is tremendously awesome. Not because it's related to this. If I've had people write and say, I haven't even seen the film, but the merch is so great. I just wanted the merch. Mm. Uh, so we had just colossally awesome artists come in. We have um, if Ian Miller. I mean, Phil was talking about the old Warhammer books, but Ian Miller, who did the backgrounds for Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, but a bunch of just tons of, you know, 70s and 80s fantasy art. He's a, a legend. And he did the awesomest picture of the Guardian character from the film you could comprehend. And when it, they, they have it on shirts, but they also have, we have got the posters, but it's, like, it's on a wall flag, which I never even thought I would need a wall flag. But wow. Obviously, I need a wall flag. I'm sure my wife will love the wall flag in the living room. I used to have one of Ultimate Warrior back in the day. Let's see. Now is the time to get back into wall flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a, you know, there's the part where a Gosser's chest opens up. And yeah. There's an eyeball. We made like a T-shirt that is just the eyeball. So if you need a really quick, giant, bloody eye shirt. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, tons of posters. We got stickers and stuff coming. I don't know. Check it out. It's uh, the links on our website. It's probably the easiest way to get there. Yeah, I feel yeah. like you need like a line of Funko Pops or something like burned Patton Oswalt, Guardian. Like yes. that's that's rad. <laughs> they did. I mean, we're through we're distributed through RLJ and I know they worked with them to do Mandy ones. Oh, so, you know, fing- fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That'd be cool. Oh, and the website is Gorgonaut.net. G-O-R-G-O-N-A-U-T. So Dot metal. Net. Yeah. <laughs> so metal. <laughs> I've got to get. Do you get merch that I can like buy off you personally, so then I don't have to do shipping fees? Uh, wait. Well, I mean, maybe combine orders. Uh, yeah, they haven't, they haven't shipped okay. yet. Okay. I can write. All, I can write Carlos at the merch place. Kind of... Well, listen. At the screening in Halifax, when I show up dressed like mongrel, um, <laughs> we'll get some people together and we'll put an order through. Okay. Cool. Right. Cool. I'll, I'll 
Um, yeah, I'll have um, postcards there to hand out to everyone with awesome. all the information on the table. So. Sweet. Bam. That Halifax screening is going to be the best screening. I'm so jealous I can't be there. I, I, you can... I mean, I don't know. The, the PCR testing is really complicated at the border, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait, when is this? The 23rd, November 23rd. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't make that. Now, are you both in Canada? Uh, no, no, he's in Rhode Island. Yeah, I was in gonna, Providence. Yeah. I was going to tell the, the whole story about how Kingdoms of Amalur is uh, he paid for it with his tax dollars. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That game was a huge thing here. It started yeah. in Providence, funded by that pitcher man, right, uh, yeah. from the Red Sox. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, a, it's a huge scandal in Rhode Island, that game. Uh, <laughs> I haven't played it, but... There's yeah. a YouTube I won't. channel <laughs> called What Happened, and it, it has a... It's like a documentary series about weird yeah. video game stuff, and it's on there. Yeah. Um, also, Lovecraft Country. Oh, like, uh, yeah, 100% Lovecraft Country. I can see, if there wasn't a Starbucks in the way... I can I could see the little plaque that's where that marks where the house he grew up in was. Um, oh, wow. And the house the house that I own actually is mentioned in one of his biographies as like a house where one of his childhood friends lived. So it's possible that Lovecraft has been in my house. <laughs> wow, that's I, I did cool. not know that. That's, yeah, that's cool. cool. You're going to be stricken with madness. <laughs> <laughs> do you do uh you must attend necronomicon do some stuff with that yeah 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 i i uh i don't just attend it i often end up running the uh portion of the film program so all right if you guys come you guys should come it's a great show i haven't but it's it's really not that far like i could probably drive to that i was thinking about driving down next year all right well you know we'll get this border test figured out maybe we'll do that (laughs) lovecraft is actually my my gateway drug to sword and sorcery like i watched he-man as a kid but i was little and there's a big space and i discovered lovecraft through horror and then i was like well robert e howard shared universe let's read conan and i was like oh my god so yeah On that note. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so closing thoughts, ideas from anyone, anything else you want to say? I mean, listen, we're super pumped you guys came on. Um, this is cool. I learned a lot. Yeah. Very interesting. Very awesome. much so. Well, I mean, thank you so much for having us. This was a great time. Yeah, thank you. Our pleasure. Um, Dean, since you're the guy who's just uh, got the sword of Damocles hanging behind you there, um, take us out. Well, thank you very much, y'all, for uh, listening to Rogues in the House. And with that said, may your swords always remain sharp. Mm-hmm.